Welcome to episode 328 of X-Last, where we are uh, continuing our uh, catch-up so we don't become re-X-lapsed, uh, as, uh, as it feels like uh, I'm starting to become in our time away. Uh, let's talk about a book that, um, well, I am a bit behind, of course. You know, uh, I am probably a month or two behind a lot of the folks listening right now, or at least some of the folks listening right now. And so... Um, it's been a minute since I've last looked at an issue of New Mutants. Almost forgot it was a thing. It is still a thing. Thankfully, it's still a thing. It is a good book. This might not be the best issue, but it is overall a good book. So how about we get into the, uh, I'm pretty sure it's still the latest issue out, because for some reason there are some huge delays in this book. Let's get to it. This is New Mutants Volume 4, number 24, had an April 2022 cover date. Stories called What is Deserved, written by Vida Ayala, with art by Danilo Beiruth. Colors Dan Brown, letters VCs Clayton Cowles, designs Tom Muller, edits Nobody. Oh, I mean, Okoye Brunstead White Sabolski. Cover price $4. This one went on sale February 9th of 2022, though it was originally solicited to come out December 1st, 2021. Alrighty, now this one has a pretty fun cover here. It looks like a shoots and lattice uh, with all the uh, main characters on it. It's, it's pretty neat looking. Uh, we do open it up, though, and uh, we, well, it tells a different story. Uh, we're in the Green Lagoon, where Magic is chatting up a haggard-looking, withered old man. Wait a minute, that's... Julio, that's Richter? Like, Richter, Richter? Uh, I may as well get this in early. Uh, the art in this issue does not do any of the characters any, any favors. It's... Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Magic is talking a bit about trying to find, like, a shared connection of sorts between all mutants. Richter doesn't quite follow, and honestly, you know, with everything that's happened since Hoxpox to make mutants, you know, a one people, I I can kind of see his point of view. Of course, this is New Mutants, though, where uh, we often can't go more than a page or two without seeing our heroes use their, uh, I'll say it with me, powers in tandem. So uh, connection is perhaps a bit more important to Ilyana than, you know, the rest of the island. Here she takes it to the next level, though. She suggests that mutants should have a sort of connection that humans cannot have. Which, I don't know, it's kind of weird. I, I don't know. Uh, by the way, uh, magic is drawn to look kind of like the old lady who waits outside the Circle K for you and tries to bump cigarettes or change off of you. Really, really rough art. Our double-page spread of Roll Call and Cred follows. Our characters include Danny Moonstar, Karma, Wolfsbane, Warpath, Magic, Anole, Scout, Rainboy, Cosmar, and No Girl. And uh, I think two-thirds of those characters actually do something here. Uh, from here, 
we head over to a stone circle somewhere on Krakoa, and I want to say we've seen rain here once or twice before already. And, well, she's here again. She's entering her own personal flashback land, thinking back to the apparent death of her son Tyr back in the while ago, and her more recent enchantment at the hands of the Shadow King. Now, this is interrupted by the arrival of Danny Moonstar, who asks if she can take a seat so they might chat. And she does. And, um, what follows is the first of several... How do I put it? Um, unnatural-sounding examination of feelings? Uh, like, this is almost like social media posts given flesh. Like, you know how most social media is, like, full of people answering questions that nobody ever asked them? Because nobody really cares? And they usually phrase these unsolicited answers in the form of something they read in a textbook or a psych study or a BuzzFeed quiz. It's kind of like that. It's moderately cringe. And what's more, as someone who holds a couple of psych degrees, it's uh, it's friggin' annoying. The characters kinda cease being actual characters and go off into this odd feelings exchange. Now, sure, they're talking about things that the characters whose skin they're wearing may have experienced, but the voices are terribly off. Then, as if in an 8th grade production of a play written by committee during 6th period creative writing class, Rain stands up and takes her position on stage to deliver a bunch of exposition. She thinks back to Tears' supposed death at the hands of Guido, how Tears possibly still alive, how Tears probably scared and alone, and how she failed to protect the Shadow King's irregulars. To which, Danny does what she does. She rattles off a few platitudes to mercifully end the scene. Well, actually, it's Karma who shows up to interrupt and transition us to our next scene. Now, here's where we're going to fix the Cosmar problem. In a way that, you know, they probably should have exercised like 14 issues ago. Now, Cosmar, if you don't remember, uh, Cosmar is the reality warper who suffered some physical changes when her powers manifested back in, boy, was like issue 7, 8 of New Mutants? A long, long time ago is what I'm trying to say. Her skin went purple and lumpy, her face transformed, her right eye blew up real big... She looked, you know, she looked very bizarre after her powers manifested here. It's, uh, I think she warped her own reality of, of how she looked. I think that's how it was, uh, described. Now, you also might remember how pre-Hellfire Gala, Cosmar had asked Danny to sponsor her in the Crucible so that she could be killed and then be reborn in a more normal-looking body. Danny, of course, said no. More on that in just a little bit. Now, believe it or not, it took our characters all this time to realize that Hey, you know what? We got that Morlock mask working at the Mora McTaggart Hospital in Lowtown. And I mean, we've seen this guy many times already, and his whole thing right now is about fixing scars. I, I think I think he was first installed to fix, uh, like, hair lips. I, I mean, that was his whole thing. Why hasn't anybody thought about this until now? Like, when Cosmar approached Danny about, you know, killing her, shouldn't Danny have been like, you know what? We might have something that can help you out that doesn't require you to, you know, die. Anyway, uh, Danny drops another weak-ass platitude about why she denied Cosma her chance at death in the Crucible. She says she was wrong and she apologizes. Uh, you know, this is not her journey, blah, 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 blah. It's, it, this isn't great. From here, we hop into an info page and we're reading from Warpath's journal, which is apparently still a thing we're pretending to be interested in. We hop back to comics and we're in the Grove area of Krakoa. Here we catch up with Warpath, who is fixing up a place for his newly returned big brother to live. Thunderbird, if you recall, was brought back during the Trial of Magneto number 5. 
John then enters the scene and razzes his little bro about not being there to welcome him back to the land of the living. James says that he couldn't face him because he feels that he failed him by not avenging his death. So, is he apologizing for not actually killing the X-Men like he originally planned to do back in the long ago? I don't know. Anyway, they embrace. John tells James that he's proud of him, despite probably not knowing anything he's done over the past several years. Back to the lagoon, and here, Magic comments on how, underneath her somewhat sociopathic facade, she's actually a real person who has real feelings, which, I tell you what, might be the most refreshing bit of business to come out of this issue. Because uh, Magic, to this point, has been written as a little too... Let me clear my throat here so I don't vomit all over my keyboard. She's been depicted as being a little too fierce of late. And I want to see her be a little bit more personable. You know, a bit more human and a bit less of a weapon. I've been reading a lot of uh, older stuff of late and um, reading stories where she and Kitty are contemporaries. And they, they just they just seem like teenage girls who are, who are friends. And uh, we don't really get that from Magic anymore. I mean, of course, she's been through some stuff, but... Uh, I don't know, she's a lot less fun to read of late. Uh, Richter then gives her the, you think that's bad, and mentions how not long ago, he couldn't even touch the ground without fear of being shaken apart. Of course, this is how Apocalypse found him back in, I don't know, one of the first few issues of Excalibur. It's worth noting, as they're talking, we see Madeline Pryor in full Goblin Queen getup, sitting at the other end of the bar. I thought she was meant to be hiding the goblin queeniness of her personality right now. Uh, editor? Editor? Uh, my kingdom for an editor. Put down your phones, get off the Twitter, because believe it or not, you have a job. Uh, info page. This is a husk request form, and it has nothing to do with Paige Guthrie, in case you're wondering. This is a request from Martha Johansson slash no girl to attain an actual body. Back to comics, and we're over to the Arbor Magna, where the Irregulars and several of our younger mutants have assembled, including Chamber, Jubilee, Karma, Bling, Gentle, and Anole. Scout shows up and runs into Dakin Dakin in X-23. They have a sorta kinda touching, yet still textbook sterile (laughs) reunion, and they uh, ultimately decide that they're cool. You know, they're family, they're cool. Then Storm arrives to do the uh, cult leader thing like she used to do back at the start of this era. Here she introduces the New Look No Girl who looks like a girl version of the Teen Titans baddie, Psymon. Uh, she now calls herself Cerebella. And, uh, huh. Didn't we see her in Powers of X? No, no, wait, my bad. That was Silabelle. Very, very similar look, though. From here, we go into montage mode, catching up with our cast as the dust in this issue mercifully begins to settle. Cosmar, post-masking, looks quite a bit more normal, though... She still has her purple skin, or purplish skin, and her eyes appear to be slightly different sizes, different colors. Much, much improved from before, though. Uh, We then slide over to the lagoon where Magic and Richter are still talking about magic. Uh, The the concept of magic, that is. Ilyana is not talking about herself. Uh, Well, not this time, anyway. We then see the proud stars catching up beside a bonfire. Then Cerebella and Cosmar reunite with the Shadow King's Irregulars. Magic and Richter agree to begin teaching the young mutants some magic. Karma then catches up with the girl who she had a crush on for like five whole minutes over in the 2021 Pride special. This is Galora, the the girl with the wings. Not that Ayala bothers to name drop her. And, uh, well, they make out. Then, Cerebella and Scout leave the Irregulars? I don't know. Then back to the lagoon where we see Havoc and Madeline. They're they're drinking, I guess, and they look (laughs) very, very unhappy. Very displeased with, uh, 
I don't know, they just don't look happy. It's worth noting, Maddie is still wearing the Goblin Queen getup, which she very clearly was trying to hide from Havoc over in that last scene in Hellions. Oh well, it's yeah. It's not like this issue got pushed back nearly a quarter of a year or anything. I, I can't expect editorial and creative to be up on a story beat from last fall. I mean, these editors have Instagrams, Facebooks, and Twitters. We can't expect them to, you know, be on top of what's happening in these books. It ain't like they're being paid to do that or anything, right? Anyway, uh, Magic makes eyes at Maddie. Next stop, Marzarocco, or a portal on Marzarocco, rather. Here, uh, the New Mutants arrive to see Amal Farouk through this portal. Now, I guess the interminable Shadow King story from the last 700 or so issues of this book ended with the Shadow King entity being separated from Farouk. I tell you what, (laughs) it's been a long time since we read that. I can't remember a bit of it, so we will just play along. Farouk is apparently heading off to help Legion with his work over at the altar, so maybe we'll be seeing him in Legion of X. We then head back to the lagoon to wrap this issue up, with Magic approaching Maddie to make her an offer she can't refuse. And that's that. Next episode... Oh lord, I forgot all about Secret X-Men. I, I guess we'll be talking about that. But for now, let's talk about this one, and I'll try to keep this brief. Um, in case my tone <laughs> has left any ambiguity, didn't really care for this one. Uh, this one was kind of rough for me. You know, now, if you've listened to my spiels on, like, current-day DC Comics, you might be familiar with me kind of getting on Tom King for his sad attempts at dropping little bits and pieces out of the first few pages of a a Psych 101 textbook, you know, dropping those into his stories, and, of course, being regaled as a bulletproof genius for doing so. Now, I'm not a fan of, like, that surface-level sort of stuff here, but I gotta give him his due. Because he at least changes these bits up to kind of be in the voice of the character he's writing. It still sucks, don't get me wrong, but there's effort made. These bits are there to serve a story, rather than making sure to let the reader know that you took several dozen BuzzFeed quizzes before sitting down to write your script. The therapist speak here was... mm, A little much. A little much. Now, I've said it before... Though maybe not on the air, maybe this is just something I wrote, but um, ironically enough, I'm not a writer. I would love to be a writer. I feel like I have stories to tell, just not the talent to actually do so. That said, what Ayala is doing here is, it's easy. It's easy to write about characters being introspective, dealing with their own baggage. It's easy because there's really nothing to it, especially when you're being less than subtle about it. Now, of course, there's always something to be said for subtlety, and had it been used here, this would have been a far less painful read. Like, how about we write in a way where we know that Danny feels bad or regretful about not being there for Rain, or for denying Cosmar her crucibaling, right? But we don't get that. What we do get is Danny dropping surface-level platitudes. And, you know, it's like if you're writing about, like, deep-rooted psychological issues, you're kind of telling a story... You know, it's like when you're you're at an amusement park and you must be this tall to ride the ride. If you're going to write about that kind of stuff, the reader... You need to expect the reader to be at a certain level of understanding and being able to contextualize here. You can't tackle, at least not in my opinion, I could be completely wrong, this could just be a Chris problem, but if you're going to write 
this isn't even high-concept stuff, but it's deep-concept stuff. You need to write it at a level where, where you're not, uh, like, I don't want to say cheapening it, but simplifying it, oversimplifying it to the point where it could be, you know, an article in a Highlights magazine. Like, this isn't like Goofus and Gallant, you know, like, Danny feels regretful for not killing Cosmar. Danny feels regretful because this was not her journey. It, mm, it's kind of rough, kind of try-hard. Um, now, back to what I said about this, this being kind of an easy road to go down here. Writing about baggage is easy. It's also wildly uninteresting. Now, if you've ever taken any psych classes here, uh, you're probably familiar with the phrase, you know, the best research is me-search, and I'm sure I've used that on the air a few times. Basically, it means that you're, you are your own best test subject. Now, your me-search might be captivating and enlightening to you, but try sharing your findings with anybody else, and they ain't gonna give her it. Nor should they. Because, hey, they got their own package as well. Anybody listening who's ever been in talk therapy, mentally transcribe one of your appointments. Is it interesting? I mean, to anyone other than you? Nine times out of ten, no. <laughs> no, it's not. Now, there are ways to kind of costume it up, right? You can, you can add subtlety. You can add layers of subtext. You can add so many things to your me-search that would make it captivating. You can make it a story. We don't really get that here. Of course, we're addressing things that happen, but we're doing it in a way where it's basically just Danny talking at us. And for me, that really doesn't work. Let's, let's shift gears here. Let's talk a little bit about Thunderbird, who has apparently come back from the grave with a little bit of the old Alan Alda in him. Now, in fairness, John Proudstar is not a character we know a ton about. But with what little we do know... His behavior here doesn't exactly jive or feel natural in the slightest. Now, of course, we might just be taking great big sidesteps here to avoid accidentally stepping on a toxic masculinity mine, but, I mean, T-Bird's a man out of time. He was who he was, and by all counts, since no time has passed for him, he should still be that very same guy. And I mean, hell, over in Trial Magneto number 5, he was still being depicted as being an ornery dickhead. Then again, I'm sure this is being written more to make John fit in with whatever story Steve Orlando and Nyla Rose have planned for him, rather than paying, you know, tribute to anything said about him over the past, you know, half century. I mean, this is a dude we met tackling a bison to the ground because he thought that the Apaches were becoming weak. I don't know, let's, let's think of it here. Now, James was basically the John Proxy when he showed up, right? The John Proxy with a mad on for the X-Men. He wanted to get revenge on his brother's death. Then, over the past several decades, we watched James mature. Now, he's no longer the same hothead he was. He's even getting in touch with his feelings by journaling. We're, we're seeing pages out of his journal in, in every issue of New Mutants now. We're seeing that he is growing and being more introspective, Right? Wouldn't it be maybe a little bit more interesting to have John return as John? Maybe illustrating how different he and his brother are? To truly show what maturation looks like? I don't know, maybe that's something they'd consider to be too problematic? Or, you know, it might dare to contradict something Steve Orlando has planned. And of course, we mustn't have that. Now, I said I was going to keep this bit short, so let's do one more thing here. Let's look at Maddie. 
Um, now, at the end of Hellions 18, she and Alex agree to head out for drinks. Now, I know there's no such thing as editing or continuity anymore, but let's assume that this little outing is that date they planned there. In that scene in Hellions, Maddie was wearing her Outback pilot gear, right? And she only saw herself as the Goblin Queen in her mirror reflection, right? So, why in all hells is she dressed like the Goblin Queen here? Like, is anybody paying attention? I don't know. I mean, maybe I wouldn't be quite so annoyed if Zeb Wells hadn't spent the past couple of years making Maddie into something very, very special. But even so, this is just such poor attention to detail, and yet another swing and a miss in the subtlety department. Anyway, let's get to the part where I say overall, and uh, say overall, I didn't care for this very much. I really want to like it, because I mostly like New Mutants to this point, and I dig a lot of these characters. Now, Ayala can bring up some very interesting bits when they're not trying to lecture us in pop psych speak. So... I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt here. I hope that this was maybe just a like a clumsy mile marker in between the reign of X and destiny of X, and things will get better from here. Um, we've talked about the deck chair rearranging. We've talked a lot about how these books have been going from zero to 60 back to zero, <laughs> like because they have to. So I'm definitely willing to chalk this up as just, uh, you know, we haven't put out an issue of New Mutants in a while. We got to get an issue out, but we can't do too much. And let's, uh, Fill some pages, clearing the deck, and starting up the, you know, setting up the foundation for what's to come. And of course, I am totally open to the possibility or probability that any of my distaste for what happens in this issue or the way things were handled in this issue might come from, you know, my own personal baggage, my own history and experience in, in psychology, and uh, just not liking this approach. Your mileage may and hopefully does vary. Uh, Though I think I'd be remiss not to mention the art and, um, woof. Let's mailbag. Let's hop into the mailbag here. We'll uh, cover one letter today from our good friend Andrew in Belfast. Now, Andrew says, Just a little note to one of my favorite podcasts to catch up on the talking points from the last sequence of shows, which have been great. Well, thank you. Uh, two ideas have been percolating through my brain of late as I've been listening to the show. The first is that I think there's been an evolution in the books in recent weeks. If we take the first couple of years of books as being the gradual, very gradual in some books, rollout of a unified concept, namely a new world vision for mutants that is primarily the brainchild of Xavier, boosted and supported by the Council, then recently we have started to move away from the near-universal acceptance of that. The events of Way of X, Inferno, The Trial of Magneto, The Death of, Lives of Wolverine, Early Issues, and now the Sabretooth book, is seeing the founding vision of Xavier, or at least the, his shift toward meeting Magneto, Apocalypse, etc., halfway in a unified vision for mankind, seems in recent months to be shattering. First with Nightcrawler, then Mora, Mystique, Destiny, Magneto, and his machinations in Trial of Magneto, and more recently in Wolverine's time travel struggles and in Sabretooth's role as per the miniseries. We're seeing multiple alternative views on what may be best for mutant kind in their Huxleyan Brave New World. And that's really an excellent point. Um, and it's interesting that, uh, that they are going this direction because everything that's been leaked and everything that we've heard, and of course everything we've heard is rumor, innuendo, you know, secondhand speak and all that stuff here. But everything we'd heard alluded to the idea that... Uh, that Hickman wanted to, like, wrap up this era. He wanted to end the era the way he intended to end it, and Marvel decided to keep going with it. So it's interesting that we appear to be, you know, starting to notice the cracks a little bit more. You know, um, 
Krakoa, as it was first presented to us, uh, you know, early on in the Hickman days, was... I don't want to use the word scare. Maybe maybe scary is the right word. It was a scary place, you know? It was a place that, I don't know, it was hard to get comfortable in. It was very uneasy. We had, you know, Storm doing culty things. We have resurrections. We've got uh, mercy killings. It's it's a very, very strange place. And of late, I, it's like we're in this weird spot now where they kind of want to walk some of that back, right? We've got the Scarlet Witch doing her waiting room gimmick, which may or may not render the Crucible as being irrelevant. And, and the Crucible was a huge part, at least to me, and, uh, you know, a lot of the tone of this program, the Crucible's been a big part of that, of just the identity of Krakoa. And one of the things that, um, like, first comes to mind when I think about this era. So we're moving toward this, like, kinder, gentler Krakoa. I mean, he even let, like, Nature Girl go, which that, that might be the worst thing Krakoa ever did. But, um... Kinder and gentler, let Mora go, right? And yet now we're starting to see cracks in the unified vision. It's almost as though the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. Huh, I wonder. Anyway, <laughs> back to Andrew's letter here. He says, Kurt sees a spiritual vacuum, but the rest, all in their own way, are starting to realize that the perfect vision with its resurrection protocols and relationship with humankind is flawed. As readers, this strikes a chord in us. As I think deep down, we all feel that as enjoyable as these books have been since Hoxpox, there is something sinister and not quite right about this new era in mutant kind. The increasing cheapness of mutant life, the author, the easy for me to say, authoritarian fist of the council, the large influence of many former villains, the surveillance culture of X-Force, the contempt for human institutions, deep down we all have an unease around this mutant paradise. And it isn't just to do with all the lowercase speech bubbles. As more and more characters are seemingly starting to push back against Xavier, and to my mind, Xavier is really Machiavellian and sinister nowadays, though maybe he always was and I didn't even realize. I think we have some interesting stories in store for us, and I can't wait. And uh, this last uh, couple of paragraphs is uh, probably the reason why I should read these letters before I start going off on a spiel. <laughs> I basically addressed those feelings of unease and you know something kind of percolating just under the surface. And hopefully we'll start seeing some of that bear a little bit more fruit during the Destiny of X era. And uh, so far, uh, I haven't read much of it, of course. I don't know if anything that I've read can actually be considered Destiny of X officially. I don't know if that uh, era, like, officially kicks off with Immortal X-Men, which I do have. I just haven't read it, of course, because we're not there yet. But I don't know if that's where it officially starts. That's where, like, the, uh, the double-page spreader roll call and cred changes, uh, changes its design a little bit. But in so far as like the proto Destiny of X stuff, I guess I could say, uh, you know, Slado's Lado, uh, the Sabretooth Mini, even the uh, the Marauders Annual, I am pretty optimistic about what's to come here. Hopefully, you know, hopefully they can keep it going. Hopefully, we can get, you know, the books that are supposed to be part of the family of books, like that are all supposed to be serving one another, can be on the same page. Maybe the ones that are outside can be outside. Uh, I know, you know. The flagship X-Men book that's not on Krakoa, that could do its own thing, but everything else should be as unified as possible here. At least, let's not contradict what's happening in other books. And honestly, I'm not sure how long this era's going to last. We do have that, um, what are they calling it, X, the Avengers X-Men Eternals story coming out in, when is that, June? That's not too far off. So who knows if uh, if any of these books will even be able to... 
establish an identity. I, I don't know if it's going to be its own sort of standalone series or if it's going to run through all the books in, you know, the Avengers, Eternals, and X-Men families. I guess that'll uh, remain to be seen. But hopefully it won't uh, derail things the way major cross events usually do. Back to Andrew. He says, One voice in the wilderness throughout this period, and perhaps as an exception to the rule in regards to the initial unity I've noted above, has been Colossus. Is he the most interesting character at the moment? I think so. He sits on the council, but we know he's under other influences at present. He's never been happy in the new dispensation, perhaps also guided as a result of his previous experience with a totali- within a totalitarian government in the USSR. Do the other members of the council realize his views? I am so intrigued by Colossus, and I do think that the writers are working in tandem as regards to his sleeper status. Will he be the disruptor that destroys the Krakoan paradise? One other angle that makes the character extra interesting, as long as Marvel doesn't try to engage in ham-fisted contemporary political story work, as it's been guilty of in the past, is how the current suite of writers feed off current world events around Russia into the storyline. In fact, in hindsight, the X-Team looked to have been really prescient in their depiction of Russia in their books over recent years, something that was noticeable. Handled correctly, we could potentially see Peter emerge as a complex catalyst for some deep, interesting themes related to current-day events in the books to come. I'd expected interesting dimensions already, but we may see the stories take on an extra layer and depth at the current time. Colossus is always one of those characters that is truly that is a truly noble presence, and I look forward to a fuller deep dive into him in the months ahead. Now, that's a pretty big ask, isn't it? Um, I, I do agree that the, uh, you know, the ex-team here, uh, Ben Percy in particular, has been especially ahead of the curve uh, in regards to uh, their depiction of, uh, of Russia. I don't have a lot of hope that, uh, I mean, we just read this issue in New Mutants, which had negative subtlety, right? I mean, I don't know. I think Marvel is very swayed by pop politics and social media trends, so I think, I don't think we're going to be getting subtlety. I know recently um, the bastions of comics journalism at Bleeding Cool mentioned something about Marvel getting political with Russia, and uh, or the X-Men in particular getting political with Russia. Not looking forward to that. If, if it is going to get any more unsubtle than it has been, I'd just as soon go without it. I, I don't need to be educated on world events from you know an X-Force comic book. I mean, it's bad enough that we're living in an era where people kind of formulate their political positions and their opinions on world matters on memes they see on social media without bothering to look any deeper as to whether or not those memes are factual or true. Um, Don't need it in the X-Men books here. I just don't think any of the writers are up to the task of handling it with subtlety. Back to Andrew. He says, Anyhow, just some quick thoughts. Forgive me my rambling and high expectations. Just thought I'd jot down these notes as we cruise toward the next stage of books. Keep up the great work, and until Sinister stops finding capes the height of fashion, make my next lapsed. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to write, Andrew. I always love hearing from you, and I I love hearing your thoughts here, especially, you know, we're at this weird sort of kind of overlap point, right? Uh, The reign of X isn't completely over yet, and the destiny of X hasn't yet officially, to my mind, kicked off. So we're at a very uh, transitional period now. We have all these new creators coming in. we got creators leaving. 
it's a very exciting time. It's just quite unfortunate that uh, it's right now I choose to be in my own way <laughs> about getting shows out because, honestly, this era right now that we're in should be some of the more exciting stuff that we've covered over the past, you know, over 300 episodes. It's just bad timing that I'm choosing right now to be more Chris than ever before. So uh, we'll get there, though. We will catch up. Uh, I'm fairly confident in that. It's weird, though. I'm at this uh, odd like dissonance point now where... I'm enjoying, you know, coming back to the mic when I want to come back to the mic. You know, not making sure I do it every single day. If I do it every day for a little while, that's because I, you know, want to do it every day for a little while. If I don't, then I won't. So I'm enjoying, you know, the pseudo-freedom I've given myself over the past few weeks. But at the same time, I'm seeing these books pile up again. And it's, I don't know, I'm feeling disconnected. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's not as though my voice was ever ever welcome in the X-Men community, but uh, it feels like I'm even further detached right now, and it's, um, I don't know, it's giving me that uh, that odd dissonance, and like I said, we'll get there. We will get there, but uh, I won't bore you with any more of that for now. I think that's where we'll put a pin in it for today. Now, if anybody out there would like to get a hold of me for any reason at all, I'd love for you to do so. You could find me on Twitter at Ace Comics, Instagram at 90sXmen, you could shoot an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com, or you can call into the voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes, you can head over to chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You could join us on Facebook, 90s X-Men is our group. There is the Patreon, that is patreon.com slash and of course there is the complete audio archives at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. Those are available on any of your podcasting and noise aggregation applications and however I used to word that. But that'll do it for me for today. I'd like to thank you all so much for joining me, choosing to spend some of your time with me. And if you're listening on the day this comes out, I hope you're enjoying your Easter if you celebrate. And, uh, you know, thank you for spending a little bit of your Easter with me. It really does mean a lot. With all that said, I will be talking to you again real soon. See ya.